0: whether or not the customer you are building for is even capable of it. Something you definitely want to know sooner rather than later. But first, I've got to tell you about my car. I drive a Honda CRV and I love it. I don't have a name for it, which is kind of weird because I usually name things like that. For example, my fig tree is named Louise. Louise has grown a couple of feet since I got her back in 2014 and I could not be prouder. Whenever people see Louise, they act impressed and say things like, wow, it's so hard to keep a fig tree alive. And I feel great inside, but I still downplay it and say something like, well, she gets a lot of light. Humans struggle accepting compliments, and I am no exception. Even about Louise. Also, it seems like everyone has a fig tree, so it can't be that hard. But back to my unnamed CRV. We park it on the streets in New York City because it is hilariously expensive to put it in a garage. Parking on the streets in New York City means I need to move my car twice a week for street cleaning, meaning I sit in the car and wait for an hour and a half from 8.30 to 10.30 a.m. on either Monday and Thursday or on Tuesday and Friday, depending if I'm on the north or south side of the street. When the street sweeper comes by, I pull out of my spot, let the sweeper pass, then pull back in. Since it's New York City and everything here is 40% more crazy than it needs to be, this isn't as simple as it sounds. Sometimes people trail the street sweeper and try to steal the spots of the cars that were rightfully waiting. I think of this as the more rowdy, somehow less classy cousin of the follow ambulance through traffic move. I don't think it's technically illegal, but it's definitely obnoxious. And it is just about the lowest thing you can do on my block. The other day I was sitting in my car waiting for the street sweeper, which I actually don't mind. I get a ton of work done with a laptop squeezed in between me and the steering wheel when a spot stealer tried to swoop in and steal the spot of a car a few spots in front of me. They pulled it off, and the block erupted. The lady who runs the dry cleaner saw it first and flew out of her store, yelling and waving the pants she was altering threateningly at the car. The old guy who sits on his stoop all day, smoking cigarettes and petting the dog sprang into action too, his hands flailing above his head like one of those inflatable tube things that a used car lot, repeatedly hollering, Oh, no, 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 no. The people in the cars around the spot stealer joined in too, honking and doling out some of the more famous New York hand gestures. I did my part, laying on the horn and shouting a classic, what do you think you're doing? It was pretty fun. Within 15 seconds, the spot stealer pulled out and drove away. The person waiting got their spot and all was right with the world. The driver whose spot was saved popped out of his car and gave everyone a wave to which we all honked back as if to say, anytime. We closed on a house in Connecticut last weekend, and I'll be gone before the end of the year. I will not miss everything about New York City, but I'll definitely miss some things. As you'd expect, niche businesses have popped up all around street parking. There's a guy who's also a doorman on our street who you can pay 300 bucks a month to, and he'll move your car from one side of the street to the other to avoid street-sweeping days. I asked him once what he does when he can't find a spot to move to, and he says he usually just eats the $110 ticket. He expects that each client will get one ticket per month, meaning he pockets about $190 per car per month after the tickets. Cash only, of course. And if $300 sounds expensive, you're right and you're wrong because objectively it is, but to park in the lot on our block would cost $1,200 a month, so it's all relative. There's also a guy who will go park your car at a cheap garage somewhere way uptown for you. He charges $250 a month. With him, you text an hour before you need the car and an hour before you're arriving back in the city so he can pick it up. I haven't really gotten a chance to speak with this guy. He's a little more slippery. If you ain't paying him, he ain't talking. Probably not a terrible strategy as I assume he too is taking cash only. A friend of mine lives a few blocks away and he has a car and I asked him about the secondary markets on his street. Oh, you mean the kids? He replied. I had no idea what he was talking about. Well, he said there are a bunch of maybe 16 year old kids who go to the high school on the block. They'll sit in your car from 830 to 10 on the street sweeper days and pull it out and pull it back in. It seems like they alternate and split the money amongst themselves or something. That's done by the week, 50 bucks per. Or he said, you can use that slippery valet guy, I guess that guy gets around. Today we're going to talk about trust. We talk about the fundamentals of a business a lot and we should, they're important. There are five of them in case you were counting, you create value, you market that value, then you sell it, deliver it and capture it with an amount of money that allows you enough profit to grow or pay yourself enough to be happy. But the thing that underlies all of that is trust. You need a customer to trust you for any of it to work. Without trust, the whole thing falls apart. Without understanding why people trust some things and not others and how to create that trust, you're stuck at a theoretical business something that might look nice on paper, something that, along with $2.50, will get you a ride on the subway. For lots of people on my block, their car is the most expensive thing they own. And yet, they happily give a set of keys for that thing to a stranger. That stranger doesn't have a business name, they aren't incorporated as an LLC or an S Corp or a C Corp, they haven't raised money, they don't offer any type of insurance. In one case, they just drive your car somewhere and bring it back, presumably, And yet, keys are turned over day after day. Why? How? Trust. Let's talk about it, and let's help you build some. After, a little smooth jazz. If you've got a startup idea and a full-time job and want to test out the former before you leave the latter, come and work with us. Apply at GetTackleBox.com. Over 400 startups have tested and built ideas through our program, and those businesses are now collectively worth over a billion dollars. Our program helps you prioritize and execute, and our members and me and the team keep you accountable and give you feedback along the way. Come build with us at gettacklebox.com. Back to it. We're going to talk about three tactics to build trust today. It's a fun episode. No notes needed. Just relax, connect some dots. The three are authority and social proof, specificity, and consistency. But we'll start by asking why trust is so important in the first place. Seems like it should be kind of an obvious question, but also maybe not. Most founders pitch me businesses that are rational. This thing will save people this much money or this much time, so of course they'll buy it. Now, let's just figure out how to make it. You can probably tell by my condescending tone that I disagree. I've said it before and I'll say it again, and maybe I should just make this the tagline of the podcast or maybe make a t-shirt out of it, although it's not very upbeat. People can stay irrational way longer than you can ever stay solvent. Relying on customers to make rational decisions will lead you directly to the poorhouse. Our decision frameworks have lots of inputs and very few of them are what you deem as rational. Again, I recently watched someone on my street hand the keys to their brand new Range Rover to the slippery guy who parks cars, quote, somewhere uptown and says to text when you want your car back. People are not rational, so let's stop trying to pretend that they are. Most decisions are made with the emotional part of the brain, the part driven by trust. So we need to learn how to create it. Getting customers to trust us gives us some leeway to start making the mistakes that let us build something that's actually useful. We'll need people to trust us and buy something before it's objectively ready. We'll need people to leave paying jobs to take less money to take a bigger risk on our team. We might need to convince people to give us money to build something before we've got overwhelming data that says it'll work if they do. The fundamentals of a business are a commodity. The trust part, that's tricky and essential from the earliest stages. So let's jump in and we'll start with why people hand over their keys. Social proof, authority and scenarios that support trust. I mentioned that I saw someone hand over the keys to their Range Rover and luckily they did it right in front of my parked car during street sweeping hours the other day. I got to listen in on the conversation. Hey, the Range Rover guy said to the park your car uptown guy. You park a friend of mine's car and he said you've been great. Do you think it makes sense to park mine with you? Maybe, the car parker replied. Depends how often you need it. Probably twice a week during the week and maybe every other weekend, Range Rover guy replied. The car parker thought for a second. Here's what we'll do. Use me for a month and we'll see how it goes. You might need your car too often and it won't make sense for me to keep bringing it up and back. That's a lot of work. I usually only like to work with people who need their car once a week. We'll check in in a month and we'll see how it's going. Often people don't actually need their car as much as they think. If that's the case, maybe I'll keep working with you. Range Rover guy was kind of confused and intimidated and nodded. Okay, I guess that's great. Okay, the car parker said, I'm heading uptown now. Keys and 200 bucks for the month. Text when you need it. He took the cash, hopped in the car and sped off. And with that, this guy gave his keys to a stranger in less time than it probably takes him to decide whether he's going to do an iced coffee or a latte in the morning. The first thing to know about trust is to know where it's possible and where it isn't. You're going to need trust to build a business, but some places just don't have the infrastructure to support it. This is the original sin for a lot of businesses. The problem they're solving isn't important enough to foster enough trust in the first place to kickstart a business. Here is what I mean. In this situation, the guy parking his car has a problem with a capital P, the type of problem we love at Tacklebox. He jumped into the river and he hit a dam. He bought the car, he decided to keep it in the city, and now he's got to figure out how. He's pot committed, just like we like our customers. His problem is urgent. His car needs to be somewhere today. It's frequent. He needs the car to be parked and then he needs to use it. And this needs to happen over and over week after week. It's painful. It's a real problem that needs a solution, which means it's a place where he needs to trust somebody. If he doesn't, the problem won't be solved because the cost of not trusting someone is massive, specifically $1,200 a month. The alternative for him is terrible. So the customer needs to trust someone because they need a solution. This is where you want to live. This is a dream customer. I got pitched a tool the other day that would change my email signature dynamically. The idea being I could always have the most recent episode of my podcast linked in my email signature. So every email would be a little nudge for people to listen to this episode. Kind of nice. I clicked on the link to learn a bit more. It asked me to log in with my Gmail account and then asked me to give permission to post to my account or something like that. I don't know exactly what it was asking for because I'd already X'd out of the box before and I will never go back. The problem isn't important enough for me to even consider giving any trust. I moved on. But for our car guy, the problem was urgent and painful and frequent. It had a consistent feedback loop. It was in a completely new space to him, which means he did what humans love to do in that scenario. We search for experts. We want to outsource our opinion to someone who knows better. And that perceived expertise turns, wait, should I give my keys to this stranger? Into, man, am I lucky this guy's going to park my car for me. Layered on top of this, of course, was social proof. No matter how sketchy this car guy seemed, he'd parked this guy's friend's car and all sorts of other people on the block's cars for a long time. This was his job. If he stole a car, he wouldn't have a job anymore. And finally, the expert with the social proof chose the Range Rover guy. Specifically, he said, I know you've got this problem. I can help you with it. I'm your best shot. Humans love nothing more than to be chosen. And that is why you give your keys to a stranger. The bigger and more urgent the problem, the more likely it is that you'll be able to build enough trust to get your customer to take action. It's a seesaw, an obvious one in retrospect, but one people usually ignore. If you're working on a problem where there's no chance that your customer is going to trust you a whole heck of a lot, you're never going to get off the ground. That leads us nicely into the second type of trust, specificity. It's a remix of the expert layer of trust, but it's more surgical. I stumbled on a pretty interesting customer early on at Tacklebox way back when we were getting started in 2015. The majority of applications for my accelerator program that we were running nights and weekends for people with jobs were coming from people living in the US on visas. It quickly became clear that these visas required the person to have a job. They'd lose their visa if they quit and tried to start a startup full time. If they were interested in starting a business on the side and hopefully getting it to the point where they could smoothly transition from one to the other without an employment gap that would lose them their visa, I was the only game in town. I began marketing to this customer and tailoring the product for them. Messaging specifically to their scenario broke through and created trust fast. Social proof from people with visas who loved the problem built trust with new potential customers. The hard thing about this isn't the execution itself that was easy. The hard thing was the commitment to the choice, to focus on a niche that feels like you're leaving people out. But I was able to build more trust with that customer because I focused and began to better understand the scarcity and constraints of their situation and could then build a better product to combat them. That built more trust than telling someone not on a visa that I could help them in the margins, at least early on. The economics of a niche are usually fantastic always better to have a ton of trust from a few people than have lots of people trust you a little bit. Action comes when the trust mug is filled to the brim. The third path to trust is consistency. This one is possibly the toughest, but if done right, can compound and have the highest returns. Someone is more likely to trust you if they feel like they know you. And apparently the equation for creating that feeling is straightforward and calculable. It takes about 11 interactions or seven hours of direct contact. Those seven hours can be asynchronous and often are. James Clear had unfathomable presales of his book, Atomic Habits, because he had an enormous newsletter of people who had gotten two short articles a week from him for five plus years. They felt like they knew him, so of course they bought his book before it was released. They didn't even need to know what it was about. Whatever your favorite podcast or TV show or newsletter is, you likely feel like the hosts or customers or writers are your friends if you've listened or interacted with them for more than seven hours. 11 interactions or seven hours is a high bar and can feel overwhelming, but again, the question comes back to focus. An example, someone reached out about a business a few weeks ago that helped people who were balding figure out how to approach it the founder had spent something like 20 years learning about the reasons people go bald the different flavors of baldness the medicinal treatments and the natural ones he created an email course that educated people over 15 emails in 30 days to help them self-diagnose his thesis was that everyone treats baldness the same way but there were lots of root causes and each root cause had a few treatment paths that were worth trying he sold treatments for each type of patient at the end of the email flow All affiliate, he didn't produce anything aside from his expertise. He also offered a paid plan that gave access to his research and a weekly email. At the end of the 15-email sequence, conversion to the paid plan and a paid treatment hovered around 80%. The problem was real, it was frequent, urgent, painful, and had an obvious feedback loop. Every time these people looked in the mirror, they noticed it. This founder had spent time making himself an expert and prescribed people a solution that made sense to them. He built a system to stack helpful interactions in a short amount of time. He was someone they trusted to help them solve something that mattered. So they converted. We started off the podcast talking about how crazy it was that people basically hand the keys of the most expensive thing they own over to a stranger. We'll end it recognizing it might be more crazy that some people don't. Hard problems create scenarios where customers are going to search for someone to trust. Your job is to build that trust by understanding their specific problems, creating consistency, and doubling down on what you know that other people don't, finding a niche and leaning in. This works for products, it works for raising money, and it works, apparently, for park and Range Rovers. Hopefully, it'll work for you. And if you have an idea around parking cars or baldness or anything else and you want to test it and build it with us before you quit your job to go all in, apply at gettacklebox.com. We will reply in 72 hours and can be working on your business with you by the weekend. Have a great week.